are listening to the most original talk radio station anywhere. We are L.A. Talk Radio at latalkradio.com. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. The Cretaceous Paleogene Extinction Event, known also as the KPG Extinction Event, formerly known as the Cretaceous Tertiary Extinction Event, or KT Extinction, was a mass extinction of some three-quarters of plant and animal species on Earth, including all non-avian dinosaurs. This occurred over a geologically short period of time, 66 million years ago. It marked the end of the Cretaceous period and with it the entire Mesozoic era, opening the Cenozoic era, which continues today. In the geologic record, the KPG event is marked by a thin layer of sediment called the KPG boundary, which can be found throughout the world in marine and terrestrial rocks. The boundary clay shows high levels of the metal iridium, which is rare in the Earth's crust, but is abundant in asteroids. It is generally believed that the Cretaceous Paleogene extinction was triggered by a massive comet slash asteroid impact and its catastrophic effects on the global environment 
including a lingering impact winter that made it impossible for plants and plankton to carry out photosynthesis. The impact hypothesis was bolstered by the discovery of the 180 kilometer wide or 112 mile long Chicxulub crater in the Gulf of Mexico in the late 1970s, which proved conclusive evidence that the Cretaceous Paleogene extinction boundary clay represented debris from an asteroid impact. The fact that the extinctions occurred at the same time as the impact provides strong evidence that the KPG extinction was caused by the asteroid. However, some scientists maintain the extinction was caused or exacerbated by other factors such as volcanic eruptions, climate change, and or sea level change. A wide range of species perished in the extinction. The most well-known victims are the non-avian dinosaurs. However, the extinction also hit other terrestrial organisms including mammals, pterosaurs, birds, lizards, insects, and plants. In the oceans, the extinction event devastated the giant marine lizards, pleosaurs, fish, sharks, mollusks, and many species of plankton. It is estimated that 75% or more of all species on Earth vanished that day. Yet the devastation caused by the extinction also provided evolutionary opportunities. In the wake of the extinction, many groups underwent remarkable adaptive radiations, a sudden and prolific divergence into new forms and species within the disrupted and emptied ecological niches resulting from the extinction event. Mammals, in particular, diversified in the Paleogene, 
producing new forms such as horses, whales, bats, and primates. Birds, fish, and lizards also radiated. The extinction event was severe, global, rapid, and selective. In the terms of severity, the event eliminated a vast number of species. Based on marine fossils, it is estimated that 75% or more of all species were wiped out by the extinction. This is a rough estimate. It is difficult to estimate diversity for modern ecosystems, let alone for fossil ones, and the data are derived primarily from marine invertebrates. Terrestrial organisms especially insects, represents much of the diversity, but have a poorer record. Despite this, the high levels of extinction seen in terrestrial and marine fossils indicate that the extinction is the most severe extinction in the past 250 million years. The Cretaceous-Paleogene extinction was a global event. The event appears to have hit all continents at the same time. Dinosaurs, for example, are known from the Maastrichtian of North America, Europe, Asia, Africa, South America, and Antarctica, but are unknown from the Cenozoic anywhere in the world. Similarly, fossil pollen shows devastation of the plant communities in areas as far flung as New Mexico, Alaska, China, and New Zealand. The event also affected all seas and oceans. Widespread groups such as Moasars and Ammonites disappeared around the world. Furthermore, the extinction occurred at the same time on land and in the sea. The fossil record shows that the tempo of the extinction event was extremely rapid, occurring on a scale of thousands of years or less. In some cases, 
it is possible to study fossils on a very fine scale, centimeter by centimeter, through the extinction rocks. Examples include marine microfossils, such as calcareous nanoplankton and foraminifera and terrestrial plant pollen. Here, the fossils show that the ecosystem remained relatively stable up until the Cretaceous-Paleogene boundary, at which point many species suddenly vanished. For groups with a poorer fossil record, such as dinosaurs, fossils are unlikely to be preferred preserved just under the boundary. For example, only a few dozen Tyrannosaurus skeletons are known, and the odds of finding one a few centimeters below the boundary are low. This effect is called the Signor Lips effect because many species appear to have vanished before the boundary, creating the illusion of gradual extinction. Nevertheless, improved sampling shows that groups once thought to undergo a slow decline, such as dinosaurs, actually disappear quite suddenly near the boundary. reworking when fossils are eroded from older rocks and deposited into younger fields can also make extinction appear gradual. For example, in the Bug Creek anthills beds in Montana, dinosaur fossils occur alongside mammals from the earliest Paleocene, which created the illusion that dinosaurs dwindled as mammals radiated. Reworked fossils are recognized because they tend to be rare and are often damaged by the reworking. The patterns are critical to understanding the cause of the extinctions. The fact that the extinction is severe global and rapid suggests that the extinctions result from a severe global and rapid environmental disturbance in other words an environmental catastrophe with this in mind in the 1970s and 1980s. This led scientists to seriously consider catastrophic mechanisms such as supernovas, volcanic eruptions, 
and asteroids and sparked new interest in catastrophism in geology and paleontology. The extinction was also highly selective. Some groups were relatively unaffected. Others were devastated and some were eliminated entirely. Many species of alligator, turtle, and salamander survived. Mammals, birds, and lizards suffered high rates of extinction. Non-avian dinosaurs and pterosaurs were wiped out entirely. Even though the boundary event was severe, there was a significant variability in the rate of extinction between and within different clades. Species that depended on photosynthesis declined or became extinct as atmospheric particles blocked sunlight and reduced the solar energy reaching the Earth's surface. This plant extinction caused a major reshuffling of the dominant plant groups. Photosynthesizing organisms including phytoplankton and land plants formed the foundation of the food chain in the late Cretaceous as they do today. Evidence suggests that herbivores died out when the plants they depended on for food became scarce. Consequently, top predators such as the Tyrannosaurus rex also perished. Coccolithophorids and mollusks, including ammonites, rutus, freshwater snails, and mussels, and those organisms whose food chain included these shell builders, became extinct or suffered heavy losses. For example, it is thought that ammonites were the principal food of Mosars, a group of giant marine reptiles that became extinct at the boundary. Omnivores, insectivores, and carrion eaters survived the extinction event, perhaps because of the increased availability of their food sources. At the end of the Cretaceous, there seems to have been no purely herbivorous or carnivorous mammals. Mammals, and birds for that matter, that survived the extinction, fed on insects 
worms, and snails, which in turn fed on dead plant and animal matter. Scientists hypothesize that these organisms survived the collapse of plant-based food chains because they fed on detrius or non-living organic material. In stream communities, few animal groups became extinct because stream communities rely less directly on food from living plants and more on detrius that washes in from land, buffering them from extinction. Similar but more complex patterns have been found in the oceans. Extinction was more severe among animals living in the water column than among animals living on or in the sea floor. Animals in the water column are almost entirely dependent on primary production from living phytoplankton while animals living on or in the ocean floor feed on detrius or can switch to detrius feeding. The largest air-breathing survivors of the extinction event, crocodiliaforms and chamsosars, were semi-aquatic and had access to detrius. Modern crocodilians can live as a scavengers and can survive for months without food and their young are small, grow slowly and feed largely on invertebrates and dead organisms or fragments of organisms for their first few years. These characteristics have been linked to crocodilian survival at the end of the Cretaceous. After the extinction event, biodiversity required substantial time to recover despite the existence of abundant vacant ecological niches. The Cretaceous-Paleogene boundary represents one of the most dramatic turnovers in the fossil record for various calciaris nanoplankton that form the calcium deposits 
that gave the Cretaceous its name. The turnover in this group is clearly marked at the species level. Statistical analysis of marine losses at this time suggests that the decrease in diversity was caused more by a sharp increase in extinctions than by a decrease in speciation. The boundary record of dinoflagellates is not well understood, mainly because the only microbial cysts provide a fossil record, and not all dioflanagates species have cyst-forming stages, thereby likely causing diversity to be underestimated. Recent studies indicate that there were no major shifts in dinoflagellates through the boundary layer. Radiolaria have left a geological record since at least the Ordovician times and their mineral fossil skeletons can be tracked across the boundary. There is no evidence of mass extinctions of these organisms and there is support for high productivity of these species in southern high latitudes as a result of cooling temperatures in the early Paleocene. Approximately 46% of diatom sea species survived the transition from the Cretaceous to the Upper Paleocene. This suggests a significant turnover in species, but not a catastrophic extinction of diatoms across the boundary. The occurrence of platonic foraminifera across the boundary has been studied since the 1930s. Research spurred by the possibility of an impact event at the boundary resulted in numerous publications detailing planktonic foraminiferal extinction at the boundary. However, there is a debate ongoing between groups that believe the evidence indicate substantial extinction of these species at the boundary and those who believe the evidence supports multiple extinctions and expansions through the boundary. Numerous species of benthic foraminifera became extinct during the event, presumably because they depend on organic debris for nutrients. Since the biomass in the ocean is thought to have decreased. However, as the marine microbiota recovered, 
it is thought that increased speciation of benthic foraminifera resulted from the increase in food resources. Phytoplankton, recovering in the early Paleocene, provided the food source to support large, benthic, foraminiferal assemblages, which are mainly detrius feeding. Ultimate recovery of the benthic populations occurred over several stages, lasting several hundred thousand years, well into the Paleocene. Marine vertebrates. There is variability in the fossil record as to the extinction rate of marine invertebrates across the extinction boundary. The apparent rate is influenced by the lack of fossil records rather than the actual extinction. Ostracods a class of small crustaceans that were prevalent in the upper Maastrichtian left fossil deposits in a variety of locations. A review of these fossils shows that ostracod diversity was lower in the Paleocene than any other time in the tertiary. However, current research cannot ascertain whether the extinctions occurred prior to or during the boundary interval itself. Approximately 60% of late Cretaceous sclerotinia coral genre failed to cross the extinction boundary into the Paleocene. Further analysis of the coral extinctions show that approximately 98% of coral species, ones that inhabit warm, shallow, tropical waters, became extinct. The solitary corals, which generally do not form reefs and inhabit colder and deeper areas of the ocean, were less impacted by the extinction boundary. Colonial coral species rely upon symbiosis with photosynthetic algae which collapsed due to the events surrounding the Cretaceous-Paleocene boundary. However, the use of data from coral fossils to support 
the extinction event and the subsequent Paleocene recovery must be weighed against the charges that occurred in the coral ecosystems throughout the KP boundary. The numbers of cephalopods, echinoderm, and bivalve genera exhibited significant diminution after the extinction boundary. Most species of brachiopods, a small phylum of marine invertebrates, survived the extinction event and diversified during the early Paleocene. Except for nautiloids, represented by the modern order nautilidia, and coleoids, which had already diverged into modern octopodes, squids, and cuttlefish. All other species of the molluscan class Cephalopoda became extinct at the Cretaceous-Paleocene boundary. These included the ecologically significant Belemonoids, as well as the Amnonoids, a group of highly diverse, numerous, and widely distributed shell cephalopods. Researchers have pointed out that the reproductive strategy of the surviving nautiloids, which rely upon few and larger eggs, played a role in out-surviving their aminoid counterparts through the extinction event. The aminoids utilized a platonic strategy of reproduction. Numerous eggs and planktonic larvae which have, would have been devastated by the extinction event. Additional research has shown that subsequent to this elimination of aminoids from the global biota, nautiloids began an evolutionary radiation into shell shapes and complexities, therefore known only from aminoids. Approximately 35% of echinoderm genre became extinct at the Cretaceous-Paleocene boundary, although taxa that thrived in the low-latitude, shallow water environments during the late Cretaceous had the highest extinction rate. Mid-latitude, deep-water echinoderms were much less affected at the boundary. This pattern of extinction points to habitat loss, specifically the drowning of carbonate platforms, the shallow water reefs in existence at that time by the extinction event. Other invertebrate groups 
included rudists, which were reef-building clams, and isermids, giant relatives of modern scallops, also became extinct at the boundary. There are substantial fossil records of jawed fishes across the extinction boundary, which provides good evidence of extinction patterns of these class of marine vertebrates. Within Cartagenius fish, approximately 80% of the sharks, rays, and skates families survived the extinction event and more than 90% of teleos fish, bony fish in other words, families survived. There is a mass kill of bony fish at a fossil site immediately above the Cretaceous-Paleocene boundary layer on Seymour Island near Antarctica, apparently precipitated by the extinction event. However, the marine and freshwater environments of fishes mitigated environmental effects of the extinction event. Insect damage to the fossilized leaves of flowering plants from 14 sites in North America were used as a proxy for insect diversity across the KP boundary and analyzed to determine the rate of extinction. Researchers found that Cretaceous sites prior to the extinction event had rich plant and insect feeding diversity. However, during the early Pliocene, flora were relatively diverse with little predation from insects even 1.7 million years after the extinction event. There is overwhelming evidence of global disruption of plant communities at the extinction boundary. Extinctions are seen both in studies of fossil pollen and fossil leaves. In North America, the data suggests massive devastation and mass extinctions of plants at the extinction boundary sections, although there were substantial megaflora changes before the boundary event.
in North America. Approximately 57% of plant species became extinct. In high southern hemisphere latitudes such as New Zealand and Antarctica, the mass die-off of flora caused no significant turnovers in species, but dramatic and short-term changes in the relative abundance of plant groups. In some regions, Paleocene recovery of plants began with recolonization by fern species, represented as a fern spike in the geologic record. This same pattern of fern recolonization was observed after the 1980 Mount St. Helens eruption. However, the patterns of recovery were quite variable. Different fern species were responsible for the fern spike in different areas, and in some regions no fern spike is evident. Due to the wholesale destruction of plants at the extinction boundary, there was a proliferation of sapotrophic organisms such as fungi that do not require photosynthesis and use nutrients from decaying vegetation. The dominance of fungal species lasted only a few years while the atmosphere cleared and there was plenty of organic material to feed on. Once the atmosphere cleared, photosynthetic organisms like ferns and other plants returned. Polyploidy appears to enhance the ability of flowering plants to survive the extinction, probably because the additional copies of the genome such plants possessed allowed them to more readily adapt to the rapidly changing environmental conditions that followed the impact. There is limited evidence for extinction of amphibians at the extinction boundary. A study of fossil vertebrates across the Cretaceous-Paleocene boundary in Montana concluded that no species of amphibian became extinct. Yet, there are several species of Maastrichtian amphibian not included as part of this study, which were unknown from the Paleocene. Therefore, some amphibians do seem to have become extinct at the boundary. The relatively low levels of extinction seen among amphibians probably 
reflects the low extinction rates seen in freshwater animals. Non-archosaur reptiles. The two living non-archosaurian reptile taxa, testudines, which are turtles, and lepidosaurs, which are snakes, lizards, and amphisbianians, along with the Choristodorus survive through the boundary. Over 80% of Cretaceous turtle species pass through the extinction boundary. Additionally, all six turtle families in existence at the end of the Cretaceous survived into the Paleogene and are represented by current species. Living lepidosaurs, including Rhynchonocephalia, which are Tarturas, and Squamata. The Rhinocosophilia were widespread and relatively successful group of lepidosaurs in the early Mesozoic, but began to decline by the mid-Cretaceous. They are represented today by a single genus located exclusively in New Zealand. the order Squamata, which is represented today by lizards, snakes, amphibians, radiated into various ecological niches during the Jurassic and were successful throughout the Cretaceous. They survived through the extinction boundary and are currently the most successful and diverse group of living reptiles with more than 6,000 living species. No known family of terrestrial squamates became extinct at the boundary and fossil evidence indicates they did not suffer any significant decline in numbers. Their small size, adaptable metabolism, and ability to move to more favorable habitats were key factors in their survivability during the late Cretaceous and early Paleocene. giant non-archosaurian aquatic reptiles such as mosars and pleosars which were the top marine predators of the time 
became extinct by the end of the Cretaceous. This is most likely due to their size, which meant they were less able to adapt during the aftermath of the extinction event. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.